0: Hi, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back to How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything. And welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. I'm the host and creator, Dulay Galantigua Williams. Every week, I've been talking to adult children of immigrant parents, like me, and some experts who have knowledge and expertise and experience about taboo topics that sometimes make it hard to communicate with our families. We've talked a lot so far about values and personal beliefs and how to manage expectations and set up boundaries. But today, we're going to get into something a little bit deeper, something that can at times be way more complicated, mental health. What do we do when we think that a member of our family might have a mental issue? What do we do? How do we bring it up? How do we talk about it? What if we're the ones having a mental issue? How do we bring it up? How do we talk about it? In this episode, we're very fortunate to have Kenya, who wanted to share her story and her father's story with us about how she found an informed and compassionate way to get closer to him and to openly talk about what was going on with him. Let's get into it.
1: My name is Kenya. I am Dominican, born in the Bronx. And in my family, we call my mom and dad, mommy and puppy. The way I would describe my dad is that he's a character. I mean, he's constantly making people laugh, constantly just making up stories, just out of nowhere, poetry too. Like he will say like, and we're like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, we don't know. And then it's like usually just some very silly, ridiculous story. Um, and he's just, I've learned sometimes very misunderstood but also just a very loving and well-intended person like he always means to care for us in any way that he can um even though sometimes he can't you know um but I I think he's he's a, a very important figure in my life at least especially in my adult life we've grown a lot closer in our culture I feel like especially mental health isn't really talked about um and especially as a kid it's not something that you realize, like, sometimes you see extremes, but you just think, oh, maybe he just had a bad day. Um, I think in high school was when it really became apparent to me that something else was amiss. Um, we had a few really hard-hitting um, moments where I just remember his reaction. So, like, we were in a car. I said something it was probably religion-related because we bumped, head off, bumped heads on religion, topics like quite frequently um and I, I think I was just questioning something and I think for him it was so offensive and it just quickly like in a matter of seconds like he just became a completely different person and that was the first time I knew there was something really wrong um and I didn't know what it was I didn't know how to describe it um but it was definitely something where you know he pulled over the car like I felt unsafe Um, And that had never, I've never, I mean, to this day, I've never felt that way. And so from there, he just became more introverted. You know, this character that I've always known my whole life, he became just somebody else. And I I don't know what it it was. He never came to like school functions. He just wasn't present. The diagnosis was bipolar disorder, but it was something that I, they didn't explain to us thoroughly enough. I don't even think he understood what it was it was something where they instantly just gave him medication and then he became even more of a zombie. Everything just became normalized to me. Like I didn't question it any further. It was just the way things were. Um, and by that time I was the only kid in our house. Um, my brother was in college and my sisters were still in New York. So I just kept chugging along. And then it wasn't until college when after my parents got divorced, I was a sophomore that my dad ended up moving to New York and I was like, oh, this is my chance. Like I can finally talk to him. Like we had spent at that point, like three years without a relationship. And then he was at my aunt's house and I went up there to visit him and I brought with him with me this project that I had been working on. Um, I took it upon myself to kind of research what it meant to be bipolar disorder, like a bipolar person. Um, and I learned a lot about what could be a trigger how sleep affects them differently. Like there are just so many concepts that started to make more sense to me as I worked on that project and I shared it with him. And I think that was the first time where he felt seen. No one had ever really tried to understand what he was going through and not even himself. Like he just was told, hey, this is the thing I need to do. Everyone keeps telling me I I need to take this medication. I don't feel like myself with that medication. What else can I do to... Better myself and be there for my family. So we talked about it, and from there on, I mean, he's been a steady figure in my life. Took a little while to build it up again, you know, um, but um, it really did help me understand what he was going through. For the rest of my family, it's interesting because my siblings, my brother and I, were really close in age. My sisters are much older in age, and. There's so much history that I'm not aware of in their relationship where there's so much, like everyone's had a completely different experience with my dad and his um, diagnosis, his bipolar disorder. So I shared with my brother and I think it, it did help him understand what we were experiencing. It just felt almost surreal at that point when you're in it. And then when we were retrospectively looking at everything, um, I think it helped understand our father better. Um, I feel like he's found his own sort of therapy, I mean he's stubborn as hell, Um, he has land in Dominican Republic, he has passion fruits and goats and he lives like in his bubble of goats and passion fruits and just no internet, (laughs) he's loving life Um, and it's almost like if he didn't have that, if he didn't have that fresh air, if he didn't have that kind of manual labor, I don't think he would... I think he would be in a very dark place. Um, So that's where he is now. And I think our family has just tried to understand him um, the best we can.
0: So I really applaud Kenya for taking the initiative, for seeking knowledge, for really being active in learning about her dad's condition. But for many of us, mental health is really hard to talk about especially hard when we need to talk about it with our families. So I called it an expert. Someone who can help us approach the conversation, can teach us how to help ourselves and our relatives so that no one has to suffer in silence. Let's get into it.
2: My name is Blanca Maya, and I have a private practice in Pasadena, California.
3: Now, you heard Kenya's story What did you hear as you listened?
2: I heard Kenya really support her father through this mental illness journey that he's having. What I also heard is that what is very common in our community and in other communities is that mental illness is not talked about. That there's so much shame regarding mental illness and also the lack of information in our community regarding uh, what mental illness looks like, uh, what trauma is in, in our community, There is also a lack of knowledge regarding treatment and alternative uh, treatment for mental illness.
3: So I'm really happy that you brought that up because besides the very moving personal story, I did hear that um, because I hear that a lot with my friends. And so let's talk a little bit about what it is about our Latino culture. I'm also Latina and definitely we don't talk about this enough. What is that about?
2: I think it's a lot to do with just the shame. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. They don't see mental illness as um, something that is also related to medical. For example, we don't shame individuals having diabetes and going for treatment and receiving medication uh, right. to treat diabetes. So a lot of the times there isn't uh, the understanding that our mental illness as is as important as our medical health.
3: So what do you think was different in Kenya's case where you found that she was supportive and understanding of her father's condition?
2: I think what was different in Kenya's case is that Kenya met her father where he was. She really wanted to understand her father and what was going on with him. Like she held compassion for her father and what was going on with him. Mm -hmm. Do you see this dynamic in your practice often? Oh, yes, I see it a lot. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes families uh, don't understand what's going on with their family member. They don't understand why all of a sudden their family members are not getting out of bed or are not being themselves anymore. And a lot of the times family members do come in to be that support for their family, to say that I'm here, I'm walking with you through your journey. And I think that is so important to walk with them and meet them where they are. um, Because that's so important in order for them to receive services, to feel like they're not alone in this journey.
3: So let's talk a little bit about some of the signs, because you just mentioned one, which is the not getting out of bed. But what are some of the other signs uh, to look out for when a loved one might be going through something that has to do with their mental well-being?
2: Yeah, some of the signs that somebody is needing some assistance with their mental well-being, like I had mentioned, not getting out of bed, changes in appetite, not being the usual social person that they are. There's also times when uh, individuals tries to isolate from their family members. There's days where they don't go to sleep. So it just depends on each individual.
3: In Kenya's father's case, he had a medical diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So this is now a clinical level, right? So this is not like, oh, I have the blues. Oh, I'm just really sad about something that happened. This is actually a condition that has to do with the chemicals in our bodies. So how can, uh, especially a daughter or a son or someone younger, talk to an older person, a tia, a tío, a parent, a grandparent about getting help, especially just to get a preliminary diagnosis to begin with?
2: It's very important to talk to them about what they're noticing in a compassionate way. So coming in more of a concerning way, like, oh, I noticed that... For example, in regards to bipolar disorder, I've noticed that you have been sleeping for a couple of days. I'm noticing that you have elevated mood and then you're depressed and I'm just really concerned about you. And I was wondering if you wanted to go with me, go talk to somebody. Maybe we can go talk to the doctor. You know, you can always start with your medical doctor. And then they can let you know if you need to see someone else or, hey, do you want to go with me to go see a mental health specialist just to talk to them to see what's going on? If we if we come in like that, as I'll, you know, I'll go with you. um, I also come in like, you know, I'm just concerned and I just want, you know, if we can go with someone to talk to them together. I think that really helps.
3: That sounds great. I'm just going to throw a little landmine in the way, which is that the person is someone who maybe doesn't know how to accept help. How can the person make the case that their mental health also impacts the person who's trying to help? Right, Because this is definitely... Uh, the truth that if someone is not well in your family, whether they're physically sick or whether they need some mental support, it impacts the household. So how can someone make a convincing case when the person says, "I'm fine, I don't need help," or "I'm not crazy," which is what a lot of people tend to say when when someone talks about mental health? No, no one, you're no one saying you're crazy.
2: Yeah. So what I hear you say. Which, like you said, is very common that uh, sometimes the individual who is experiencing mental illness isn't ready to accept the help. And unfortunately, we need to meet them where they are. If they don't want to receive the services, we can't force them to receive the services. And we need to do our own self-care, practice our own self-care, because that can become very overwhelming and stressful when you want to help your family member, but they're not willing to receive the help.
3: Okay. So if the person is just you know, not open to that, then focus on our self-help. So what does that look like when you're living with someone who who may have a serious mental health condition? So
2: for your own self-care, what that would look like is you joining uh, NAMI, which is like the National Alliance on Mental Health Illness. They're a support group that works with family members who are um, trying to help other uh, family members with mental illness. So that way you kind of don't feel like you're alone through this journey. And you can also feel connected to someone else who might be experiencing the same thing as you.
3: In a home where we have multigenerational folks, where we have immigrant folks and where we have first generation folks, where we might even have second generation folks, what kind of modeling can we do so that we change the culture of the home and, and we sort of uh, help everyone else become more comfortable talking about what they're feeling and what they're going through. It just normalizing and validating feelings.
2: And also, if they're having a hard time expressing their feelings, start giving them maybe some words because maybe they're not used to expressing their feelings. For example, if you notice grandma's a little sad today, going up to her and saying, hey, grandma, noticed you're a little sad today. You want to talk about it? I think that is so important because that way they feel seen. They feel validated and they feel like they can continue to go to you to to express their feelings.
3: At what point does diagnosis and potentially medication become necessary and how can a family member realize that that point has arrived?
2: Usually what we would look for is how are the symptoms that they're that they're experiencing right now? How is that affecting their daily life? For example, is it affecting their relationships? with family members? Is it affecting relationships in job? Are they losing their job? Um, So just impairments in in their life function is when we start seeing that it's important to receive services. In regards to medication, um, in in getting an assessment for medication, it depends on where you go to receive those services. And it's something that I always tell um, each individual that I see is that it's up to you if you wanna take the medication. Even though the psychiatrist or doctor is recommending that you take medication because of uh, a chemical imbalance that you're experiencing or because they they believe that this will help reduce your current symptoms, it's always up to you and your choice only to receive and take that medication.
3: Great. So always letting the person understand that these are the choices, that it's entirely up to them and that people will be supportive regardless, right? Because that's another key. Like you can't give someone an ultimatum. Exactly. That will not help the situation when you give ultimatums.
2: And also know that there's alternatives. You know, there's always alternatives to to um, receiving mental health services. It doesn't have to be just one set box of you're just going to go talk to somebody once a week. There's Uh, other things that you can do to help with your own mental health. Like, for example, a lot of individuals, their mood increases when they are more active, when they're physically more active, when Mm -hmm. they're uh, enjoying more of their hobbies. I know Kenya mentioned that her dad... Had land in the Dominican Republic Uh and how he was enjoying life there because he had the land, he had his fruits. Um, That was his own personal sanctuary. Uh And um, that also needs to be talked about and also accepted.
0: All right, let's recap what we learned from Blanca. Pay attention to the signs not getting out of bed, not sleeping well, changes in appetite. isolating themselves. Approach the person with empathy. Show your concern with compassion and offer to help. Also, offer words that might help them to express their feelings. Focus on your own self-care, especially when someone does not want to accept or seek help. You can go to NAMI.org, N-A-M-I.org, to seek help and support. And you can also talk to someone close about what's going on. Avoid threats and ultimatums. They're not going to get you anywhere, and they're certainly not going to convince someone to go get help. Seek alternatives to clinical treatments, such as more physical activity. Hobbies the person can enjoy. And remember, meet people where they are. If they're not ready to talk or go see someone, then back away from the issue. Even with medication, it's always up to the individual to take action. Thank you so much for listening. We still have stickers want some, DM us on social media or send your address to hello at talktomommypappy.com and I'll send you a set for free. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of Lantigua La Williams & Co. Micaela Rodriguez produced this episode, Kojin Tashiro mixed it, Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. We'd love to hear your stories of triumph and frustration. So email us at hello at talktomamipappy.com. Even if you don't want to be on the show, email us or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram so I can send you those sweet show stickers. On Twitter, we're at talktomamipappy. And on Instagram, we're at talktomamipappy. Remember to please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. And leave a review. We read those. Bye everybody, same place next week.